Good morning, New Hope. I'm going back to old school this morning. Paper. How often do I use that? If you are visiting with us, I just encourage you to take out your outlines. Today we're going to start a new series talking about going beyond success to significance. But I want to just describe, you young people, listen carefully. There are broadly three stages in life. The first stage in life is you start off and you struggle. You struggle financially, you struggle to figure out which way is north. But there's a struggle phase, that's the first S. If you can afford a pie, you're doing well. <laughs> and then you move on from that. You graduate, you get married, and then you get a job and your career, and you start to move forward. And there's a sense in which you end up having a, a measure of success, where you can afford the odd holiday overseas trip and a few ice creams. So that's a success phase. But after a while, that success doesn't satisfy. Did you hear that, young people? And so what needs to happen is it needs to be a transition from the success mentality to significance, that my life counts. And that's what gives lasting meaning. Now, on your outlines. First of all, a bit of research. You will spend approximately 40% of your waking hours at work in your job. And that, that does not include commuting or answering texts or bing in the middle of the dining table when the, or your cell phone goes off or, or taking calls from home. Now, and surveys also show that about one-third of workers, this is a sobering statistic, one-third of workers are not happy in their jobs. Southern Cross Healthcare, of which my daughter-in-law works, said that 30% of Kiwis spend far more time working than they'd like to. 50% of Kiwi dads say they're missing out on family and other meaningful activities that they would like to take part in because they feel they are chained to their jobs. Now, many people, even those who are, quote, successful at work, often don't feel very fulfilled by their work. Oh, they're making the money, and oh, they're keeping busy, but they're not necessarily fulfilled by their work today. In this series, we're going to talk about going beyond success to significance. We're going to look at God's view of your work in the weeks ahead. And I'll, I want to read um, a few things here, a few excerpts from a community survey that I read when, I was, when the people were asked, can you please describe what and how you feel about your work? First person said, well, I enjoy my work. My kids like to eat. <laughs> no kidding. When my, my oldest son, Nathan, I come home sometimes on the bench and there was a chicken for his afternoon tea. He had a voracious appetite, that guy. I like to eat. I enjoy the camaraderie, but I've got to pay my bills and I've got to make a living. A very honest answer. Here's another one. If I had my choice between not working and working, I would not work. But my house that I have requires me to have a job, so I have to work. That was somebody's other opinion. Maybe a couple more. Work. What do I think about work? Well, work's a necessary evil. You owe bills, so you've got to pay. If I didn't owe bills and had a lot of money, I wouldn't work. That's another person's opinion. Here's another one. What do I think about work? Well, work is too much time spent in a place I don't want to be. I'd much rather be in a business for myself. 
and making time for myself and spending more time with my family than spending 10 to 12 hours a day doing a job for somebody else and making somebody else rich. That's somebody else's opinion about work. Now the fact is that if most people were honest, they would say something like this, I work because I have to work. If I didn't have to work, I wouldn't. Besides, it's just a job. God says, no, it's not. Your job, your work, your career is part of God's plan for your life. Now, I don't know whether you've even thought about this just briefly, but Jesus, what did he do for job? What's his job? Pardon? He was a carpenter. Jesus worked with wood and stone. A lot of people think it was just wood. It's not. You go to Israel, you got taxed if you had trees on your property in Israel. So a lot of people chopped them down. So the word carpenter actually, actually more, and the balance was wood and stone. It was more on the stone side, but he did do wood as well. So what about Peter and Andrew? What were they? Yeah. What about Paul? What did he do for a job? He made what? Tents. Yeah. He was at it. Human beings were made to work. And God has a number of goals, therefore he wants to accomplish through your work, as you work. It is not just a job. Now, there's a couple of people that I just want to quickly, as an intro, touch on that Paul gave a firm rule for Christians, Christian conduct. And he gave them the, these rules to confront a very wrong attitude that was prevalent in the Thessalonian church. And the same rule has always gone on in my household. And you've heard me say it many times, but you may never know where it came from biblically. In my household, I always told my kids, no worky, no eaty. So you want to live here under our roofs? You work like we work. And, the, and, and actually, it says there in 2 Thessalonians 3, 12, 10, 11, and 12. You may want to read those verses. Very handy for your children if they're getting a bit toey. If a man shall not work, he shall not eat, it says. And then Paul was clearly speaking to those who had become idle and had lazy tendencies. Does anybody know anybody like that? Not looking at anybody, of course. Lazy tendencies. The Bible says, this is very clear, lazy and idle people. 2 Thessalonians 3 I haven't put that in your realm. He says, such people we command, a very strong word in the Greek, and urge, very strong, in the Lord Jesus to settle down, to earn the bread they eat. Calm down, settle down, and put your shoulder into the wheel. Anyway, in the weeks ahead, we're going to see how God wants to grow you through your work. Colossians 3.23, first verse in your outline. Whatever you do, do it with all of your heart as is working for who? Who? Imagine if he was right there in front of you at work. Not for people. This is the wrong focus. Your boss is the wrong focus. Your boss is just somebody that's there for right now. Who you really work for, your real employer, is the Lord. So whether you're a cleaner or a chiropractor or a cab driver or a mechanic or a lawyer or an IT, he says, whatever you do, do it with all of your heart. Not just for people potentially irritating boss. Your job matters to God because it's 
Whilst you're doing the job, working on the job, God is working on you. Now, let's back into this. God has five primary goals for your life. God wants you to know Him and love Him. That is the whole purpose of magnify. He also wants you to become a member of His family, the church. He wants you to grow in character. And by the way, you can worship through your work by the way you do it. God wants you to become a member of his family, which is the church. This morning, though, I want you to see that God wants you to grow through your job. Your work is a place for growing in spiritual maturity. Also, work is a place for ministry. You serve God by serving others. That's how, oh, I want to serve God. That's a very good desire. But the practical reality is it works out you serve God by serving other people. And then fifthly, work is a place for a mission. You can witness through your work. Today I want to look at doing business with a purpose, or you could put in brackets how to grow spiritually at work. Well, how do you do that? Well, specifically, God uses three things to help you and me grow at work. And when you know that, Work takes on a different perspective, and you can see different God's purpose in it. Number one, God uses problems in my work that come up to develop my character and yours. Every job has its own unique problems. I want to read you something, and I hope your week wasn't like this. Dear sir, I'm writing in response for additional information in block three of the accident reporting form I put in. I did put, poor planning was the cause of my accident, but you asked for a fuller explanation, so I trust the following details will be sufficient. I am a bricklayer by trade, and on the day of accident, I was working alone on the roof of a new six-story high building. When I completed my work, I found that I had some bricks left over, which when weighed later were found to weigh around 200 kilograms. Well, rather than carry the bricks bucket by bucket down by hand, I decided to lower them down in a barrel by using a pulley, which was attached to the side of the building on the sixth floor. So securing the rope to the ground floor, I went up to the roof, swung the barrel out, and loaded the bricks into it. I then went down and untied the rope, holding tightly to ensure the slow descent of the 200 kilograms of bricks. You will note on the accident report, box seven, that my weight is just 72 kilograms. <laughs> Due to my surprise at being jerked off the ground, so suddenly I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rapid rate up the side of the building. In the vicinity of about the third floor, I met the barrel coming down at an equally impressive speed. This explains the fractured skull, minor abrasions, and the broken collarbone, as listed in section three of the accident form. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid descent, not stopping until my fingers in my ascent, until my fingers on my right knuckle were deeply embedded in the pulley, which I mentioned in paragraph two of this correspondence. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold the rope in in spite of the excruciating pain I was now beginning to experience. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of bricks hit the ground at the bottom, 
and the bottom fell out. Now devoid of the weight of the bricks, the barrel weighed approximately 25 kilograms. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the building. And in the vicinity of about the third floor, I met the barrel coming up. <laughs> this accounts for my two fractured ankles, broken tooth, and severe lacerations on my legs and lower body. Here my luck began to change slightly. The encounter with the barrel seemed to slow me enough to lessen my injuries well enough fell on the pile of bricks. Fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I am sorry to report, however, as I lay there on the pile of bricks in pain, unable to move, watching my empty barrels six stories above me, I lost my presence of mind and let go of the rope. <laughs> Respectfully, I request sick leave. <laughs> I hope your work hasn't been that bad last week. The fact is, we all have unique problems. We have unique jobs, and God wants to use those problems in your life to build character. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, when we run into problems and trials, they help us learn to be patient. And patience develops strength of character. Circle that, would you? In us, and it helps us what does? The problems and trials, they help us trust God more each time. And our patience evolves, and we use it until finally our hope and faith are strong and steady. In other words, not shaky. When a bunch of problems come along, it doesn't shake your faith. You are strong and you are steady. You're well balanced. You're not knocked off your perch easily. Not knocked out of church easily. Not knocked out of your faith easily. God is far more interested in your character than in your comfort. He's far more interested in, listen to this carefully, perfecting you than pampering you. He uses problems in your life to teach you character. And whenever you have problems at work, could I suggest to you humbly that the wrong question is, why? Why have I got these problems? Why is this happening? The right question that you should be asking there is, God, what do you want me to learn as a result of these problems? What character attribute do you want to work on in me through these problems? Because while you are working on your job, God is working on you. Now, I have from time to time come across some believers who, go, who have an attitude that says this. Well, you know, I don't really like working with unbelievers because... Well, they say things that are not very nice, and I could get tempted. Friends, it is not a sin to be tempted. It is a sin to give in to temptation. Even Jesus was tempted. He just never gave in. Now, God can use your situation at work and even some of those temptations in your life to build character. You cannot justly say, I am an honest person, unless you've been tempted to be dishonest. You cannot be justly say that I am a responsible person unless you've had the opportunity or temptation, temptation to be irresponsible. So every temptation that comes into your life is an opportunity for growth. The Bible says here in 1 Corinthians 10, 
remember that the temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. In other words, don't feel very unique about this when you're tempted. The person next door to you has had the same temptations. But God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, listen to this saying, when you are tempted, he will show you all out. Mostly it's mark that as junk and delete it. I never see words. I had to put this week a whole bunch of new filters into my, we've got the most sophisticated spam system, but for some reason we've got a, a deluge of it. So you take steps to stop rubbish coming in. You take stops, uh, steps against temptation. He will show you out, and you will not give into it. Temptations are common. We all have the same. Now, the good news is that temptations are resistible. They are resistible. God will make a way out. If you ask him to, he will provide a way. He won't let it become too strong. So when you hear somebody say, well, I couldn't help myself, they are not telling the truth. If you're a believer in God, God says, I will make a way out. You've just got to make the choice to take God's way out. So God uses problems at work to develop your character. But not only that, number two, God uses people to work on you because God uses people to teach me to love. He uses people to cultivate, to teach and to deepen the love that I have. It's easy to love those who love me back. The Bible says, clear command, live a life filled with love for others. Then it's even more clear. Follow the example of Christ. If you're in doubt as what that means, follow the example of Christ. The Bible says that God is love and God wants you to become like him. And if you're growing spiritually, what that means is you're growing in love. That is so simple, but so clear. If you're not becoming more loving, you are not growing spiritually. It's that simple. So God wants you and I to grow in love. Now, humans by ourselves, by our nature, are pretty self-centered. There's a doctrinal word for that, or part of a theological word. It's called, in a concept, it's called original sin. Not time to go about now. You want to know about that? Talk to Martin and his team about foundations. But unless somebody teaches us how to be loving, we grow up pretty selfish. You think, even from a little baby's point of view, we never have to sit down with our children and say, now, this is how to be selfish. No. After having four children, I'm telling my children, this is how to share. Be nice to your sister. Huh? I'm not, you know, I don't have to say, this is how you be mean to her. Never. We're all bent that way. That goes back to original sin. We're going to go down that track if we're not careful. Right. He teaches, God teaches us lessons on loving people by putting around people who rub you up the wrong way, intentionally. Almost like heavenly sandpaper, and some of them are very coarse grit. You've got to have a lot of grit to stand with them. Some are fine, but some have got, whoo! God wants you to teach you how to love the unlovely. When he wants to do that, he puts you around irritating people. People who see life exactly the opposite. You can go, how can you see things that way? It just doesn't compute. 
He uses problems to build your character. Secondly, he uses people to build your love. And many studies show that the greatest single factor, young people, listen to this one, in job success is your ability to get on with other people. John Rockefeller, he was worth four times what Bill Gates is worth, who's the richest man in the world today, Bill Gates is. And he, this guy was worth four times more than he was, $340 billion. This is what he says, I quote, I will pay 10 times what I pay for anything else for the ability for my staff to get along with other people. That, my friend, is the key to success in, in your business. You can't get on with people, doesn't matter how much art you've got. You've got to have the heart to get on with people. How many of you that have somebody in your work that you don't naturally get along with? Can I see your hands? Okay, naturally, okay. From time to time, God will have you work with some very alongside some very strange people. It's just the way it is. How does God want you to relate to these people? Maybe some clients. Maybe some customers, some porcupine co-workers that you have to deal with. Well, the Bible says this, it's an encouraging verse here. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 18, it's instructive. It says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, there are some people you'll come across in your life that are just impossible to get along with. That's why, thank goodness, the Bible says, as far as it depends upon you. You don't be the source of the irritation. You don't be the cause of the problem. You try to get along. But God wants you to develop your love to the people that you have to work with. Now, at work, there are difficult people. You may have met some of these types. People that are very, have anybody, have you had a boss that's uber demanding? Can I see your hands if you've ever had a really uber demanding? Yeah, wow, man. These are the little Napoleons. They are dictators. They've got a little bit of power, and it goes to their heads. They're oppressive. They are downright rude. They're unrealistic in their demands. Now, by the way, again, young people, when your boss gives you something, don't always say yes. You're going to have to stand up to someone sometimes. Draw some boundaries because there's only so much of you. Don't let them run over you. We'll come to that later on. Some bosses make unrealistic demands, and it's a recipe for disaster. It's just a matter of time. Either you burn out or they blow up. Second, at work, how many people have ever had to work with dishonest people? Dishonest people? Come across those? Yeah. These are the snakes in the grass. They don't have any integrity at all. They'll lie about you. They'll lie about the company. They'll lie about the products. They'll cheat, especially when it comes to commission. They'll promise you one thing and deliver another. They'll stab you in the back. These guys cannot be trusted. Those are the dishonest ones. And then there's the di disagreeable ones. And these are the chronic complainers. They're never satisfied. They're always grumpy and negative. Come across those guys? Woo! They're grouchy, you know? They're never satisfied. They love to argue and complain. And they can blow up in an instant. They're very negative types of people. Boy, I've come across those. Then you get the defensive ones. And these are the guys that are su super uh, touchy. They're thin-skinned. And you're sort of walking on eggshells because you don't want to get them all in a fluster unnecessarily. 
and you're worried that you're going to hurt them or say the wrong thing, and they're going to be in a, in a frump for I don't know how long. And then you have the demeaning people. And these are the sort of people that are always putting you or your team down. They're so insecure that they, gain, that they try and make themselves feel more important by putting out and attacking you and other people. They're insulting and they're disrespectful. And they're often critical of the things that you do. So how does God want me to deal with these people this week? Well, first of all, I want to define what that love means again, just to refresh our minds. Because love is a word that's used so often and often misconstrued. So let's look straight to the scriptures to see what God defines as love. Love is patient and love is kind. Love is not jealous of the other person's territory, his commission scheme, his position, his power, how much money he makes. Love is not boastful. Well, I make more than you. Who cares? Or proud. Love isn't rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable or keep a record of when it has been wronged. So God wants you to deal with these people in love. The more you learn to love difficult people, to respond like Jesus would, people who don't deserve it, the more you grow spiritually. Never respond in like manner. Somebody attacks you, don't attack back. Somebody demeans you, don't demean them back. And the, at work in the Bible, uh, at work in life, the Bible encourages here. Look at the Bible, Romans twelve sixteen. Don't act, try and act important, but enjoy the company of ordinary people, and don't think you know it all. Here we are. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone, and do things in such a way that everybody can see that you, as Christ's ambassador, are honourable that you are honorable. So God uses problems in my work to build my character. He uses people to teach me to learn to love. So how does God use pressure at work? God uses pressure at work to help clarify my priorities. Every time you get under pressure at work, you need to stop and ask this question, what am I really responsible for here? Have I taken on too much? Pressure can often come when we accept additional responsibilities that we don't have the capacity or the resources for. We take on too much and tend to forget what's really important. Now, if your boss comes to you and says, I want this and I want this and I want this, and you, you are responsible here. You say, well, I've only got so much time and so many resources I can desert, uh, uh, devote to this. What would you like me to do first? You upwardly delegate it back to them. And you say, you choose. I, that's not possible to do this, that, and that, and together. You choose what you want me to do, but I can't do them all. Don't just say yes. Be very careful of saying yes to your boss. Willy-nilly. Because next minute, you'll be ending up stressed out. So we get, take on too much. And then we lose the plot. We tend to forget what's really important. 
we get overwhelmed and we marginalize immediately. We forget about God's purpose at work in our relationships. Now look what the Bible says here in Ephesians 5. Live life with a due sense of responsibility. What is your responsibility at work? To be Christ's ambassadors and accept the responsibility for your actions. Not as men who do not know the meaning and the purpose of life, but as those who do. So Paul encourages us there to keep our perspective and not lose the plot. Paul encourages believers to live and work carefully, wisely, and skillfully. And also, by the way, if you read around Colossians 3, 4, and 5, uh, 3, Colossians 4, verse 5, he also encourages us to be wise in the way that we act towards outsiders and make the most of every opportunity. So, many at work aren't interested in taking personal responsibility. Like Grant mentioned today, they're very quick to blame everybody else. People want to blame other people. Oh, it's not my fault. How many times it was a blessing and a, an encouragement to my ears when one of my team would say, it's my fault. I accept responsibility for that. I thought, my goodness, I want you. I want to keep you on my team. Christians of all people should be the most responsible ple- uh, people in the, in the workplace. And the Bible is very practical about this. I want to finish with a few verses that give some very practical ways to show responsibility. Psychiatrists and psychologists say that accepting personal responsibility is a foundation of good mental health. Not, not my fault. Not my fault. Somebody else's reason why I didn't do this. You can't grow at all until you accept responsibility for your own actions and your own attitudes. So, accepting responsibility for your own actions and behavior is the key to spiritual growth and career success. We grow by, given, by being given responsibility. Responsibilities stretch us. Howard Hendricks said this, if I had to do it again, this is to do with parenting, same principle though, if I had to do it over again, he says this, I would do less for my kids and make them do more for themselves. There's great wisdom in that. So, once you do that and you show, how can I show responsibility at work? Number one, by keeping promises. You can put that by Psalm 15 verse 4. The faithful followers of the Lord keep their promises even when it hurts. In other words, there's clear reliability in what they say. Their yes is yes, their no is no. So be careful you don't speak too fast. If your boss comes to you again and says, can you do this? Say, can I just, I just need to, let me understand what you want me to do. We call that the scope of the job. And you say, give me 30 minutes. And you go back and you look at that. Don't be too quick to say yes, because that will hang you. If you say yes and you don't deliver, that'll shoot your credibility. Be careful. Be more cautious. Now, question, is your word good at work? Tomorrow, is your word good? Are you a person of responsibility that people know if he says yes, it will get done? Do they know that? Very few people can be counted on to keep their word. If you stand out like that, you will be promoted. God blesses people who keep their word. That is a principle in the word of God. 
But it takes great courage to stand up to your boss and say, I know you want this done then. I understand what you want done. But it cannot be done in that time frame. And this is the reasons for it. This is w- and, but don't just tell him no, saying this is what I would suggest. Give him some suggestions. Don't go to your boss with the problems. Come with some solutions as well. Number two, this is how you can show responsibility at work. Meeting agreed deadlines. Notice I say agreed deadlines, and that matches, well, let's talk about that, not being lazy. Proverbs 18.9 says a lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. The Bible says that when you waste your employer's time, you're like a saboteur. You're actually sabotaging their business and actually your income. You're destroying the business every time you waste your employer's time. But meeting agreed deadlines is a way of showing responsibility. Again, remember to negotiate those deadlines. The only way you can fix that is you negotiate the deadline if you can do it, but if you need more resource, you may need to add some more resource to the equation to get that done, but negotiate it up front. Do the due diligence. Number three, how else can I be responsible at work? Number three is working without supervision. Ephesians 6, 6 says, don't work hard only when your master is watching. And then shirk when he's not looking. Working hard and with gladness all the time. Did you see that? Working hard and with gladness. As though working for who? Christ. Doing the will of God with all of your hearts. Christians should be known as those people that if the boss goes out, they carry on doing the job as if he was right there. They work on their own initiative. They work without having to be supervised. They work because they have character. They are responsible. When I was a kid, I grew up really early knowing I was very responsible. Because anytime anything went wrong, my mother used to say, you're responsible. (laughs) Anyway, back to the point. Number four. How else can I show that I am responsible? By controlling costs. You can do that. The Bible says if you're not faithful with other people's money as a steward, as a manager, why should you be entrusted with money of your own? That's, all, that's a whole other parable. But some people spend their boss's money as though they were the government. You know? Well, who do you work for? You work for God. So frugality, not cheapskating, frugality, getting the right product or the right solution that's going to do the job for the best price is your responsibility, just like Daniel did, just like Joseph did. That is your job. So when the pressures come on in your life, this next week, realize that God will use them to clarify your responsibility and to help you set some clear priorities. See, sometimes when we get so overwhelmed is we've got so much on our plate, we, we need to reorganize our plate, get some clarity on our priorities. So regardless of what you do, you may be a welder or a teacher or an IT Regardless of what you do, your work matters to God. And God wants you to grow in your work and grow spiritually. Most people have got this false dichotomy and they say, well, I've got my church side, my spiritual life there where I pray and I have a ministry, and over here I've got my secular life. There's one enormous problem with that that is nowhere supported in the Scriptures. God doesn't see that there's no integrity there. Integrity comes from the word integer. Remember back there? Wholeness. Whole. It's all one. 
God doesn't divide it into two. God is interested in all of your life. Now, since at least 40% of your life is made up of work, God is very interested in being a major part of that. And he wants you to use your work to help you grow spiritually. He wants to use problems, he wants to use people, and he wants to use pressures. The only question is, will you cooperate with his spirit developing your character, his character development program? Now, as we start this series, the bottom line is really this. The most important thing that you bring from home from your work is not your paycheck. It's you. Your character. Are you growing? Are you developing? Are you responding to the things at work in a way that you end up being a better person and a good example for Christ in the marketplace? If you're not, you're missing one of the major areas that God wants to work in in your life. So ask God to help you. Use the problems. Use the uh, people. Use the pressures in your life to help you grow, be, grow more like Him. I'll finish with a final verse, which is up on the, I think it's on your outline too. Whatever you do or say, whatever you do tomorrow, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus giving thanks through him to God the Father. Would you pray with me? God, would you use me on my job tomorrow? Use the problems and the people and the pressures and the opportunities I face to grow me spiritually and for me to affect the people around me for your kingdom. Some of you may hear today say, well, I've got a great job. But something I sense deep in my heart is I don't feel satisfied. Maybe you're looking to your work to satisfy something that only God can satisfy. Friend, can I tell you that your work will never fully satisfy your deepest needs. That's why no matter what you achieve in life, you'll never be happy just based on achievements, only a relationship to God will ultimately ever fill that emptiness. Friend, you were made to know Him. And if you've never opened your life to Jesus Christ, why don't you say today, Jesus Christ, I want to get to know you. I want to know your plan for my life and for my work. Help me in the weeks ahead to understand more of this. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said...